Hi, welcome to a special episode of the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. This is a special series of five episodes in collaboration with the 14th Annual Learning Ideas Conference in New York City. This year, the conference is fully online with participants joining from around the world. In each episode, I talk with several speakers from the Learning Ideas Conference to highlight the interesting work and ideas that they will be presenting at the conference, and also to find out what they are excited about in the future of learning. Hello and welcome to the third episode in this special series. My guests in this episode are all presenting their work on the third day of the Learning Ideas Conference, which is taking place June 16, 2021. This is a long episode and I have nine guests. I have never had so many guests in one episode before, but once again, it is fascinating work that we're discovering and traveling around the world to see the interesting work that people are doing in teaching and learning. So there's seven different talks, and for each one in the show notes, you will find links to the work that they refer to and contact information for my guests. There's also a timestamp next to each talk so that you can know where in this episode that interview will be featured. But to give you a little taste on what you can expect in this episode, I will just go through the main topics that we will be discussing. My first guest is a university professor from Berlin, Germany, and she's going to be talking about wearable enhanced learning. And the acronym she uses is WELL. These technologies are all meant to help you stay healthy and be well. So it's going to be very interesting to hear about her insights and the work that her and her colleagues are doing in developing wearable technologies that help our health. The second conversation is with two guests. One is a professor in Spain and the other a professor in Italy, and they're actually chairing a series of talks at the conference. And those talks are all under an umbrella topic, which has the acronym ALICE, which stands for Adaptive Learning via Interactive, Collaborative, and Emotional Approaches. The series of talks that they're chairing all discuss different topics under that umbrella. So that's really fascinating insights into into the work happening in that field. The third conversation is with a professor from China who is also chairing, giving a talk, but also chairing a series of talks under the umbrella, building a university of tomorrow. And she is going to be talking about a very modern university in China that has a new approach, a different approach to teaching and learning and a different approach to their business model. So it's very interesting to hear what that new university is like. The fourth conversation is about workplace learning post-pandemic. And my guest is an award-winning learning designer from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. She is going to be talking about what we need to consider in the design and approach of how workplace learning will be designed once people are going back to work. And she gives a lot of really important tips and insights on what really does need to be considered in order to make it successful. The fifth conversation is with a professor from Israel who's going to be talking about remote learning and teaching in Israel and how that has changed post-pandemic as more and more people are going back to work and back to school. The way that remote learning is taking place 
is changing, and she's also going to be sharing some wonderful insights and tips on how to make that a success. The sixth conversation, again, I have two guests, both of whom are from Dell Technologies in Seattle, United States, and they're going to be talking about how their work at Dell is designing topic-based learning so that designing a learning experience for one skill can be combined and used in a lot of different trainings. So almost like a puzzle, you can put together from existing pieces the learning that you need for different contexts and different trainings. And they're going to be talking about their work in doing that as well as their collaboration with a college in the United States on how to implement it. Really interesting stuff. And the final talk is with the founder and CEO of Shamrock Education. This is a wonderful company that was started when the founder saw in her own child's education the gap that exists between what is taught in school and what is expected in the workplace. She's developed an AI technology that helps to connect and fill the gap so that educational institutions and workplaces can understand the skills that are required. And at the same time, create a mentoring and a internship system that connects employers to students so that they can have mentors and have access and know about internships that would help their future career. Really interesting and inspiring work. So please join me in these conversations, and I hope you will enjoy them as much as I did. My next guest is Professor Ilona Buhem from the Faculty of Economics and Social Sciences at Buhem University of Applied Sciences in Berlin, Germany. She is giving the keynote for this day, and her talk is titled Wearable Enhanced Learning, Trends, Opportunities, and Challenges. Definitely a big topic about wearable technologies. Thank you so much, Alona, for for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much, Kinga. I'm very happy to participate. Well, I look forward to learning more about the work you do on wearables. But before we get into that, can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself, please? So I work at Boyd University in Berlin, which is University of Applied Sciences. So we do much research in collaboration with other uh, research organizations, universities, and my field is communication and media sciences. I did my PhD in business education, so it's an interdisciplinary field, and I did my master's in communication and linguistics. So my career path has been very interdisciplinary. And yeah, and also I really enjoy actually uh, bringing different disciplines together, especially in this field of communication and media. There's so many interesting projects where you can just look at things from different disciplinary perspective. And it's always a gain to work with people from different sciences, different fields. What I can add is I teach in the digital business studies bachelor program. I also teach in the master degree program, uh, media informatics. So I teach bachelor and master students. It's a little bit different than in the U.S. here in Germany. It's, uh, we do not have those divisions like, you, you know, as a professor, you would teach bachelor and master programs. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of interesting research projects. So it's always research and teaching and many interesting international collaborations as well. That's fantastic. Can you tell me what is the essence of your talk, Wearable Enhanced Learning? You say the acronym is WELL, W-E-L-L. Can you tell me what is that program? 
Right. So we came up, actually, we came up with this uh, term wearable enhanced learning and the acronym WELL in the European Association of Technology Enhanced Learning. We have a special interest group there or on wearables and learning. Many projects that we have seen, and I have also done a number of projects are in the field of health, healthy aging, medicine, mm-hmm. uh, where wearables can be used to enhance health and also learning about how to live healthy. So we coined this acronym well to kind of emphasize that wearable technologies can be used to contribute to the well-being, basically. So that's the idea. That's wonderful. That's a very good, a good yes. acronym to associate. Yes. <laughs> and yes, and that I'm going to talk about different trends, different opportunities um, related to using wearables for learning. We actually uh, edited a book, a Springer book on wearable enhanced learning, where we have included many different chapters um, that give insight into how wearables are used, for instance, for people with handicaps, for students at universities, for medical students, for senior learners. So we have uh, in this book, we have a broad range of examples and also critical discussions about the current state of the technology and how this can be used for learning. So I'm going to present uh, some of this state of research that we included in the book. Fantastic. That's really interesting insights that I, I look forward to. To give listeners a little bit of highlights, I think when people think about wearable technologies, especially for wellness, for well-being, we think about our kind of Fitbit bracelets that tell us how many steps we take in a day and what our heart rate is. But can you elaborate on this field of wellness wearable technologies? What, what does that include? Actually, it's it's the first project that I did was, uh, in fact, including the fitness trackers mm-hmm. or the data from the fitness trackers, creating also an architecture on how to include the data from the fitness trackers to inform users on, for instance, how not only how many steps they do, but also how mobile they are during the week, for instance, compare themselves with others and from there reflect on, on their daily routines and reflect on how they can improve their healthy living. So this was actually the starting, uh, the springboard for this whole research. Great, uh, yeah, great. but there nowadays there are so many different gadgets, so many different sensors, so many different hardware pieces also, and, and possibilities to create your own wearable devices can really support users in many different contexts. So for instance, you could support uh, visually impaired people using wearable devices for fingers, for instance, to read Braille or... You could support older people in, for instance, exercising using another project that we're having is using, for instance, augmented and virtual reality as a new kind of environment, maybe for future generations of of seniors to practice um, exercise at home, for instance, and use, exploit the potential of those technologies. What is the benefit of using virtual reality for fitness. Right. So you, first of all, we look at this from the perspective of engagement and motivation. Yes. Such an important thing in fitness. Exactly. Because that's really hard for many people to stick to the routine and to do it on daily basis, on regular basis. So what we're trying to create is just create immersive environments that are either a story based based in a narrative or where you have some kind of environment that you really want to come back to, like, I don't know, a nice beach scenery, for instance, or we also have developed, for instance, an an exer game, which is based in the disco scenery where people can dance, for instance, which can also be fun, you know, and if you cannot do this, 
if you cannot go to a discotheque because you are that old or maybe because of the pandemic you cannot do this That's you could still have this nice fun uh immersive experience in in virtual reality for instance and yeah and hopefully be motivated to come back and to uh, repeat those things but this is mm. one part of this of this whole wearable landscape yeah there are also many interesting examples of how even simple things like for instance smartphones can be used uh, uh, uh smart watches can be used uh, to support meditative ways of learning for instance languages vocabulary yeah also how you can use the different bands that track your or monitor your uh, brain activity mm. that uh, will allow you to reflect on when you are relaxed and then recommend different learning activities to you based on your brain activity oh, okay. for instance so that yeah. you would be recommended learning activities that have most effect on you depending exactly. on your brain activity that's really interesting and so your group is researching these types of technologies and the what would be effective what does your research group do yeah we basically we organize different events at um conferences so the european association of technology enhanced learning has an annual own annual conference mm -hmm. and we would have a workshop there every year and just bring researchers from different fields to discuss their developments their prototypes their research and um, for instance, last year in 2020, we had a workshop dedicated to wearable enhanced learning for sustainable development with the focus on creating social impact. So this is also something that I would like to touch upon in the workshop after the keynote, how we can actually make sure that we are not only utilizing newest technology because it's hype and interesting, but also how can we make those prototypes that we are developing more scalable and really make sure that they create impact for people that really need those technologies. It's a very important aspect. Yeah, a different perspective on this. That's wonderful. So you're bringing together the different researchers, different thinkers in this field, a field that is very quickly emerging and developing. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a huge field and only growing bigger and but what aspect of this topic do you find most interesting? Well, I think what is really interesting is that there are more and more technologies coming and you can become very creative in thinking or rethinking your learning design. So rethinking how you, for instance, design a course for student or how you design like the vocabulary with meditation activities. What is there? What, what is available? How can I use this for my own practice to rethink, to reshape, redesign my own practice? but also how I can think about more creative, uh, innovative ways of delivering instruction, helping people learn something uh, in different contexts. So if this makes things really different, what I'm going to talk about is also because wearables enable us to learn not at the computer. We don't have to sit and we don't have to like we're doing now sit and <laughs> talk. We could actually walk and do different things and, and ha have our hands free. So we are not uh, limited in interaction. Mm. like uh, mm. we would be with a desktop or mobile device for instance yeah what i think is also interesting is that we have all these sensors from the medical field that we're still exploring how we can actually utilize research results for instance from brain activities or from heart rate from pulse how can we actually use those vital parameters that we can track with many sensors to improve education or to create embodied learning experiences where people learn how their bodies react in different situations. Um, so I think there is still a lot of potential and, and fields to apply those sensors to. Absolutely. The opportunities are absolutely endless. And as you said, taking you away from the screen 
and into a natural state or more natural state or in different states. Mm. But you're really taking the pedagogy and looking at how people learn and how they can learn in the most optimal and enjoyable way mm -hmm. and combining it with this incredible technology coming from the medical field, as I understand, with a lot of the type of sensors and mm -hmm. technologies that they're developing mm -hmm. and bringing those bringing those together. Mm -hmm. Is that that's it. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Wonderful. A huge field. And you were talking about the 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 conference and the working group that you brought together. Is there somewhere where people can go who would be interested in reading? And apart from the book that you mentioned, is there somewhere that people can go to get more information on the papers and the insights that come out of there? Yeah. So we have a website. It's probably it's best if you just Google European Association of Technology Enhanced Learning and then special interest group there is a tab for special interest groups and one of those tabs is um, special interest group on wearable enhanced learning and we have the documentation of all the activities where you can uh, look for information we also have a google group where we post different things about new research interesting findings from from the internet so you, you're also welcome to join this google group wonderful and we'll have those in the show notes so from your talk, and you said that there's also going to be a workshop associated with it, what do you hope that people will take away? So I hope, I, it's really hard for me to actually figure out who is going to be attending this conference. I imagine that this will be a very heterogeneous group. So I hope that at least we will, uh, what we can arrive at is some kind of understanding of how wearable technologies are used now for learning, what, what examples mm -hmm. are there and that we can discuss um, the, this issue of social impact, not only maybe who are the users or who are the, the target groups, but maybe also which problems are really important to tackle when we apply wearable technologies, like what are the fields where we can apply those technologies to create more social impact and not only think in commercial terms of developing new gadgets, but really utilizing those technologies more for good. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. And do you by any chance have a wearable technology or a way that it's used that is one of your favorites? Ah, good question. I don't have actually the technology that I would like to have because I'm really keen on, but I wanted to get myself one. I practice yoga and there are smart uh, yoga suits. And I really want to try one of them. <laughs> Smart so, yoga suit. Exactly. What does that they had, they, they, uh, yeah, because another field in the wearable technologies is also the uh, smart fabrics or e-textiles. So you would have different sensors and conductors in the material. The yoga suit is basically has some sensors inside that inform you about your alignment in a posture in an asana, for instance, and you can get some feedback from your suit. It wow. actually looks like a suit. It's not only leggings, but it's a suit <laughs> that gives you feedback uh, on your alignment. You get little nudges yeah, on your alignment. I think you actually know it's, I think it's, it's a, it's an, at a post analysis. So I think you can, after practicing, you can get some evaluation of your posture and how far you were from the optimal alignment. So I'd really love wow. to try this. I don't have this yet. <laughs> Fascinating. That is really, it's an incredible field that is truly endless possibilities and it's only on the cusp. Uh, so it's very exciting and I'm really looking forward to more of what you're going to say during your keynote. But thinking more broadly, what excites you in the world of learning in what's coming up? Hmm. So I think the, the emergent technologies are definitely interesting. I think this whole field of technology-enhanced learning, which I have been doing a lot of research, has been driven somehow by those technologies that 
are developed somewhere and then we're thinking how to apply them in, into learning. But actually, currently, because of the pandemic and the, and the change to online teaching at universities, what I'm also interested in is how to design spaces at uh, physical spaces to make learning and teaching, for instance, at schools, universities, more interactive and more kind of like an, a communication event, collaboration event, and less design those spaces with also with technologies. With, I'm going also to present one example of, because we talked about fabrics, how you could, for instance, create smart furniture. And you can use okay. those for uh, in a room uh, to track, for instance, how people move around in the room, the proximity of the um, um, of the persons in the room when they sit, for instance, and interact with a, with a piece of furniture, for instance. So, it's, and what uh, would be the use for something like that? Yeah. So, for instance, we could see if there, for instance, group building patterns, or we could see if there mm -hmm. may be students who need some more socializing who are rather in terms of group formation, how the dynamics develops, and, and maybe if some students need more help, if there's some dominant patterns. And this can also be related, I think, to intercultural groups, because the observation is it's, I actually don't know if there's probably, there's also research on this, but my observation is that a lot of times the national groups or groups with a specific background would also very often stick together and it's as a teacher it's uh, a lot of times also the goal and the aim to mix the groups and to make people interact with people from other cultures for instance in the classroom mm. so this could also be used for that to see if you are successful in your pedagogy if that's your aim very very interesting and it's a fascinating topic and a really emerging and very interesting field so thank you very much for sharing your insights and your knowledge and I very much look forward to hearing more in your talk and reading more on the website. Thank you very much, Alona, for joining me. Thank you very much, Kinga. It was a pleasure. My next guests are the two individuals who are organizing the Alice track for this conference. And the Alice track is a series of talks that fall into a similar category, a similar topic. And ALICE stands for Adaptive Learning via Interactive, Collaborative, and Emotional Approaches. And so the two professors who are organizing this track and the talks that go into it are Professor Santi Cabale from Open University in Catalonia in Spain, and Professor Nicola Capuano from the University of Basilica in Italy. So welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Kinga. You're welcome. So to start, can you each tell me a little bit about yourselves? Maybe we can start with Santi. So thank you, Kinga. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, thank you for this kind invitation and for the opportunity to disseminate our track, Alice, as part of the Learning Ideas Conference. We would uh, also like to thank the conference organizers and especially David Goronik for allocating uh, our track, Alice, in the main conference. So as you mentioned, my name is Santi Cavalle. I am a professor at the Department of Computer Science of the Open University of Catalonia, which is an university that was born 25 years ago in Barcelona as the first fully online university in the world. So we are very proud of that. As academic, uh, I've been working over the last 20 years uh, in many research fields within the, the learning space, such as online higher education, uh, collaborative learning, and uh, artificial intelligence in education. 
always from the perspective of how to leverage learning technologies and methodologies to improve and enhance education. Most recently, it drew my attention the new discipline of learning engineering and the new profession of learning engineer, which moved research in the learning space one step further from a multidisciplinary engineering and a professional perspective. Wonderful. Thank you. That's such an important combination to bring the computer science and engineering into the learning space and to have that combination of both. Uh, Nicola, can you please tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay, good morning, King, uh, and uh, to the people listening, my name is Nicola Capuano, and I am an assistant professor at the School of Engineering of the University of Basilicata. It's a small but very active university in South Italy. I am a computer scientist, and my research activities are focused on adaptive learning technologies, and in general, on use of artificial intelligence models and methodologies in education. My collaboration on these issues with Santi has lasted for more than 10 years and has led to the proposition and implementation of several research and development projects, as well as the organization of various events, workshops, conference tracks like CAVE, which is the one we organize inside the Learning Ideas Conference. Well, I look forward to hearing what is included in the ALICE track, which includes several different speakers talking about different topics under this umbrella. So can you tell me what is the essence of the ALICE track? Yeah, I think I think I can, I can tell something about this. Actually, it is worth uh, starting telling a bit of history about, uh, about this track. Uh, actually, the track uh, ALICE started back in 2010 as uh, an international workshop as a result of a large European project with the same name, ALICE. Mm. As you mentioned, ALICE stands for Adaptive Learning via Interactive, Collaborative and Emotional. The aim of ALICE uh, as a workshop was to provide uh, a forum for innovations in educational technologies, especially designed to improve the engagement and motivation of learners in learning experiences. Then, Edition by edition, and for 10 years, Alice managed to build a small community around with interesting contributions presented and published in the proceedings of conferences uh, that were devoted on general purpose technologies, where Alice was allocated the first 10 years. However, this year, 2021, we decided to make a step further and move Alice to a pure conference on learning technologies, which is the Learning Ideas Conference. And the decision has turned out to be fully right, as we received many interesting proposals from everywhere, very focused on our topics of interest related to learning technologies and methodologies from which we have learned a lot. This is why we are really happy to form part of the Learning Ideas Conference, and hopefully we can repeat this enjoyable and fruitful experience in the coming editions of the conference. Very important aspect of learning technologies and uh, really interesting. Yeah. So, so what aspects of this topic do you find most interesting? What do you think is most interesting in this, under this umbrella? Alice stems from the assumption that students must be significantly involved in the learning process for effective learning to occur. And this is often a limitation in on online learning. This limitation has become evident uh, recently when in the period of lockdown, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, numerous classes were forced to abruptly switch from frontal teaching to online learning. Alice is a form for innovators in online education who propose new artificial intelligence, emotional, interactive, collaborative techniques 
to improve student participation in online courses, reduce dropout rates, and improve the level of student learning and satisfaction. This year, Ellis holds eight uh, very interesting works focusing on topics ranging from conversational agents to automated assessment, adaptive courses, intelligence support for students, assessment of the quality of online education, and also ethical aspects of AI applied to education. In particular, one of the hottest topics this year seems to be the design and integration in the learning process of intelligent conversational agents aimed at supporting students and facilitating their learning process. So it's really about how AI and machine learning can really assist the students in learning better. So what do you hope people will be taking away from these talks? So in line with, uh, with what Nicola just said, uh, the earliest audience will take away real-world examples and innovative methodological approaches from the application of the latest technologies for teaching and learning in the context of academic education, informal learning, like uh, MOOCs and corporate training. In particular, Alice will reinforce how far artificial intelligence techniques and related technologies are going to support the teaching and learning processes in terms of uh, planning, monitoring, self-regulation, and evaluation. In addition, particular focus is on the use of conversational agents to support collaborative learning and recommendation systems for learning, as well as we expect to provoke the necessary and urgent discussion to address the ethical dilemmas behind the use of technologies for education. So eventually we expect the, the Alice audience to take away interesting inputs and discussions among these topics within the learning space while considering new potential collaborations between the participants coming from the academia and industry. That's really important, isn't it? Because it is a very yes. complex uh, topic. It, technically and both ethically, but that requires a lot of different voices in that yeah. conversation. So it's a good opportunity for people to hear from and also connect with others working in similar fields that can assist their own work. Is that correct? Okay. Yes, wonderful. Well, that's really good. So more broadly, what do you find exciting in what's coming up in the learning space? There's obviously AI and all of these systems are in themselves exciting, but what are you most looking forward to or most excited about in this field? I think currently, uh, adaptive learning technologies are being asked to face new challenges coming from massive open online courses, the so-called MOOCs, that involve uh, thousands of simultaneous participants with some courses offered by Coursera and Udacity, just to mention some of the most popular providers, exceeding 100,000 users. Mm. Books have a peculiar characteristic compared to traditional educational resources and require a growing adoption of AI tools to make up for the lack of human attention, improving the involvement of learners and maintaining acceptable quality standards. At the moment, this direction, albeit from writing, is still underdeveloped, and I think it represents one of the challenges of the coming year, in which it will be exciting to take part in. Wonderful, but definitely very exciting. I think I can also add something because, uh, well, there are many topics to consider that we think that uh, will coming up in the, in the learning space for the next year. And one, one hot topic is uh, learning uh, engineering, uh, which is a, an emerging uh, topic from the digital learning space that is gaining attention in higher education and industry. 
It is actually included in the in the last Educate Horizon report as one of the learning practices gaining momentum. One of the, the main movements supporting learning engineering is an industry consortium on learning engineering called ICICLE for short, which started in uh, 2018 as an open forum and community-driven platform for defining the new profession and supporting working learning engineers. In ICICLE, learning engineering is an evolving field that focuses on how engineering methodologies can inform and improve learning technologies by bringing new cross-disciplinary approaches to measure how, where, and to what extent learning is happening in digital spaces. It is really exciting to be part of the ICICL movement and see how learning engineering is evolving the learning space. Absolutely. So it's yes. called the ICICL program, is that what you said? Yes. The ICL right. program. And so it's bringing engineering methods, not necessarily engineers, not necessarily an electrical or mechanical engineer, but engineering methods engineering to designing methods. learning. Yes, exactly. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's a very, that, that is very interesting. Well, yes. thank you so much, both of you. And thank you for sharing your insights and also an overview of the Alice stream, which will be very interesting. Lots of very interesting talks under that. I really appreciate your time in telling me more about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kinga, and again, for this uh, great opportunity to disseminate uh, the Alice track and hopefully that the Learning Ideas Conference and we all can have uh, start a very nice discussion right, uh, among us, all the participants and also people uh, around this big community and hopefully to see you all to all, <laughs> you all there Thank absolutely you. absolutely it's a fantastic opportunity to meet others working in similar spaces and to have those collaborations so thank you very much thank you And my next guest is Dr. Chen Wang from the XJTLU University in China. And she will be giving a talk titled Cultivating Global-Minded Educators. But she is also chairing stream number three, which is a series of talks under the umbrella banner, Building a University of Tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. I look forward to hearing about your talk and about the stream overall. But before we jump in, can you just please tell me more about yourself? Sure. So like you said, uh, I'm Dr. Tian Wong, uh, but feel free to call me Sarah. Uh, that's you know how everyone is calling me here. And something about myself, I actually spent about 20 years in the United States. I got my doctorate from Teachers College, Columbia University. And after uh, receiving my doctorate, I decided to actually move back to China uh, in Suzhou, where my family, my husband, you know, we live here now. And uh, I have been at XJTLU, um, the full name is Xi'an University, for almost three years in the Academy of Education. And currently, I'm the Director of Research. Very interesting and exciting three years for me. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And so you're chairing several talks mm -hmm. during the conference. The overall title is called Building a University of Tomorrow. So can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that umbrella top? What is going to be included in that? Sure, sure. 
So when David approached me first, this idea was really attractive.、Uh, you know, the conference theme. You know, the the, the learning ideas. He said is、uh, very inclusive, and he wanted to tap into higher education and explore practices that's more innovative. So let me just. Kind of backtrack a little bit, give you some、uh, background about my university, XJTLU. This is actually、uh, the largest university in China. That's that's a cooperative、uh, university or transnational university. It was set up between a Chinese university called the Xi'an Jiao Tong University, a well known here in China,、mm-hmm. and also the Liverpool University in the UK. And the two、uh, institutions got together. They they decided to create a third independent university in Suzhou, <laughs> not in Xi'an, but in Suzhou,、uh, because at the time they were looking for a new、uh, model in higher education. The idea of transnational education have only been in existence in China for about twenty years, so、mm. we're quite young. And recently. Uh, the university celebrated its fifteenth birthday. So when David approached me, and he、uh, knows a little bit about what I do here, he said, "Would you would you like to put together a mini conference and talk about some of the things that、uh, your university is doing? For example,、uh, we're just moving into, and this is、uh, Tuesday, June fifteenth. The first presentation is talking about integrative education." The idea of actually moving along with Industry 4.0, we're moving our education model to an entire new level, and you will see a brand new campus that's in development. That's actually integrative in the way that、uh, the higher education is reaching out to industries. And the degrees and all the、uh, courses are taught between professors in in the academic field and experts from the practice field in a sort of a joint model. And so, where that's one of the innovative things we're trying to approach, and and we're recognizing students not just sort of you could say in the sort of a white tower learning theories. We want our、mm-hmm. students to learning theories, but informing informing practice with with theory studies. That's wonderful. So you're bringing together practitioners in the fields、mm-hmm. that the students are learning in, and how does that collaboration? Maybe you can just give a glimpse of what that collaboration looks like. So this is integrative education. We call it education model three point zero, and the the presentation will talk more about it. But、uh, to outline some some of the things, for example, we have、uh, five. Colleges within this integrative education model, and one of the colleges is called Entrepreneurial College, and the students have to learn many many things、uh, from the from multiple industries and with multiple company support.、Um, so, if we want、uh, students to learn about, let's say, pharmacy, we're not just talking about、uh, issues or、uh, things concerning medicine in the sort of laboratorial way. We want the students also understand the value chain, the supply chain, and how it works in a society, and how it connects from the research development of a medicine to distribution to the consumers. So it involves lots of companies, and they become partners with us in this college education. Well, so it's not only that the students are learning the specialty in in your example pharmacy,、mm-hmm. but then also they are connecting with. Pharmacists in the field, and also learning about the more holistic field of pharmacy, about how the supply chain, the industry around it, not just the science of yeah. pharmacy. Yeah, exactly. That's really, and this is the case for each field that the university is. Yes, and、teaching. we're targeting、uh, for the, the 
first the five colleges we were targeting entrepreneurship, we're targeting on media, culture, targeting advanced technology. So we、uh, actually for each college there is a industry leader, a company、mm-hmm. that's behind it, and the programs are driven、uh, in collaboration with the industry partners. So students、Very、will come to university for、yeah. a short term to learn about basic knowledge, set their foundation. And、mm-hmm. other students typically will take a break during the summer, but this integrative education model will take students to a professional development program, and they will actually, from the get go, go into the field and do project based learning and taking on、okay. real challenges. There's going to be several talks that will explore this new university、yeah. and the collaborations and the way that that the students are taught. Your specific talk is going to look at a cultivating a global mindset. Yeah. So in addition to understanding the holistic field of the what the students are learning, are they then also exploring it in a more global way? Is that what you will be discussing? Yes. So, so my specific topic, because I、uh, my specialty is in、uh, global education, and what we're trying to do,、uh, and also aligns with the university strategy, is cultivating global citizens. So, in my talk, along with my colleague,、uh, we're going to look at like what it means to be global, what it means to to have global education, and、uh, mm-hmm. we're taking both the his- historical perspective as well as a local. Culture perspective. So, for example,、uh, my colleague and I will talk about how the global education have developed before World War Two. Time in the very beginning was it was a product of a colony. You know,、um, it was、uh, exploiting resources from third world country. Now, gradually evolved as China is also elevating its status in the in the global community. It wants more of a、uh, sort of collaborative, equal partnership with rest of the、uh, the world, other countries. So, so in this power dynamic, the the idea of global education is also shifting. So it's no longer、mm-hmm. just Westernized education, exporting、mm-hmm. it into other, you can say, developing countries. It's about how integrating the advantages of Western ideas into the local culture, make it more adaptable, suitable for the local learners. So, from one perspective of my talk, I'm going to look at the historics of Global education, but on the other hand, I'm also going to share some of the real challenges we have been seeing from the local、mm-hmm. culture receiving the Western education and how the locals have been adapting, mixing with their own understandings and cultural values、uh, in this、mm-hmm. process. Yeah,、mm, it's definitely an important aspect to understand. So, from the talk you're going to be giving and the other talks under the series that you're going to be chairing.、Mm-hmm. What aspects of this entire topic do you find most interesting? I think you will see、uh, with all these topics that we're putting together is、uh, what has been happening in China with Chinese higher、uh, higher education sector in China. What we're doing is very innovative, very new.、Mm-hmm. You can say we're frontiers.、So、there's only ten, maybe eleven transnational universities. Uh, with independent status in China, and we're the largest, and we're probably the oldest, I, you know, or、mm-hmm. the one of the oldest. Even with that, we're only fifteen years old, and with fifteen years, we have to grow so rapidly. We, you know, we're having, we're moving the entire university online, not for a pandemic, because before pandemic, we are already prepared for the university to teaching online. So when the pandemic hit, it was really natural for us to just moving it faster. And took、mm-hmm. advantage of this pandemic, if you will, 
this idea of online, we call it learning mall online. You know, we want, we are imagining sort of a virtual mall if you go into it and you have a different storefront as, you know, picking your education service and product. And you can be right. a student to do that. You can be alumni to do that. You, or you can be anyone like in the society outsider to do that and still be enjoying education in, in such a way. A couple other talks, we talk the specifics like how we're using online um, to, to facilitate, for example, gamification, facilitated learning, technology-assisted project-based learning. You know, that's all some of the innovative practices that we're trying to uh, implement, uh, aligning with this online idea and this integrative education idea. Right. Yeah. So is the university fully online? Is that the model? Actually, it's moving towards the university is, a... is a physical place in China. Okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it has two locations, one in Suzhou, one is just maybe an hour away from Suzhou. Uh, so mm-hmm. students are actually all on campus. But yes. at the same time, we have accessibility online. All the deliveries okay. we do, for example, the, the courses, uh, the course that I'm teaching is a mixed model. You know, I okay. use online platform to communicate with students and deliver part of the teaching. And I also meet with students like, you know, twice a week. So it's a merging of the yeah. online yeah. and the in-person. Exactly. Interesting. And what do you think people might be most surprised about in terms of how the university is working and functioning? I mean, there sounds like a lot that yeah. is very different and very interesting. In these presentations, you, you will see some the, the actually uh, pictures of the campus. And okay. that's one thing uh, usually I find when I present it at international conference, uh, a lot of people can't believe this is actually happening in China, you know, how modern okay. it is mm-hmm. and advanced. And also uh, this, this sometimes we say like we're, we're more advantaged than Oxford because they, they may have to undo like hundreds of year history to really make organizational change. But since we're so young and, and we can just change it <laughs> as we want, uh, so, so some people may find that amazing. Um, we move very fast here. <laughs> and for anybody who's not able to attend the talk, is there somewhere where they can go online to see what this looks like, what the university looks like, and yeah. get more information? Sure. Um, the website is xjtlu.edu.cn. There's lots of information online, and I'll be happy to share my contact information if they want to uh, reach me to know more. Yeah, we'll be happy to share. Wonderful. Thank you. And that will be in the show notes for sure. Mm-hmm. And more broadly, as an education specialist, what do you find exciting in what's coming up in the world of learning? You know, pandemic really became sort of a trigger for change mm-hmm. that's long needed in education. In that perspective, not the, not the, the pandemic itself, but for, for, from its effect, I think that's exciting. We finally start to see pe- people start paying attention to discuss some of the issues that has, you know, long, that's needed, you know, online education, for example, uh, new ways of doing things and coming together to solve a world problem. Um, so, mm-hmm. so from those perspectives, I'm very excited that this has moved people forward, you know, although it's not a good reason to do it, but sometimes you need a common big enough reason that everyone can relate to, to, to actually make change happen. Absolutely fascinating the work that you and your colleagues are doing in China. And I look forward to hearing more in the talks. And thank you very much for sharing highlights sure. with me today. I'm happy to do that. Thank you. 
My next guest is Imogen Caseborn, an award-winning learning designer who is now completing her doctorate in education at Oxford University. Her talk is titled, Online Learning Always Happens Somewhere, Where and When Will Office Workers Learn Post-Pandemic? A very important and topical talk that she will be giving. Thank you so much, Imogen, for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. So before we get into this really pressing topic, because there's so many places in the world, as we slowly get back into the workforce, this will be an extremely important topic. But before that, can you please tell me, you have such an incredible work experience and experience in this field. Can you please tell us more about that, about yourself? Okay, yes. So I've been working as a learning designer for about 20 years, designing e-learning, learning technology, also mobile learning and mobile authoring tools. So I've worked on a lot of projects for a lot of different companies and organizations over the years on lots of different topics, very interactive pieces, video-based pieces. So that's really my background, sort of looking at how we can use learning technology to help people learn and to make learning easier for people. And that's been with a particular focus on the workplace and working adults. And, And generally speaking, It's usually been people who are working in offices with with some exceptions. Fantastic. And you have a long history and won several awards as well for your designs in mobile learning. So now you will be talking to us about, of course, mobile will be a big part of this. But can you tell me what is the essence of what you will be talking about in this return to work post-pandemic? Sure. So obviously, for someone like myself, who's been designing learning experiences with technology for many years, it was fascinating in some ways when the pandemic took hold to see the shifts that organisations were very quickly making from much more face-to-face approaches to using learning technology much more. Because for many years, learning technology, of course, existed, but it was not usually the main way that organisations embraced for learning and development. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, suddenly it, it did become very much that. That was interesting to see. And one of the things I'll be talking about is research that's been done by various organizations who've interviewed learning and development practitioners and managers and asked them, you know, what happened as the pandemic took hold and what do they anticipate happening in the future? I'm going to give an overview of a number of different surveys, see what people more widely thought and what they were doing in different organizations. And can you give some of the highlights or or some aspects of what you found? What are people expecting? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm sure it won't surprise you to hear that almost immediately a lot of face-to-face instructor-led training suddenly became virtual training mm-hmm. and moved to things like Zoom. I mean, that's that's probably not going to be a big surprise to anyone. I was slightly, almost slightly concerned to hear that some of those online sessions were seven hours in length, hmm. which, which is a pretty long time to, to be concentrating. Absolutely. Yeah. But also, I think people said that they expected to continue using much more online and virtual learning, even as things return to normal after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of organisations that, for example, LinkedIn surveyed, said they imagined that there might be more hybrid approaches to working in the future. Mm -hmm. And people might, you know, not go back to offices full time. And we've seen other news reports that suggest that quite a lot of organisations are 
going to be moving to two or three days in the office and working from home for some of the rest of the time. In that kind of setup and having a more hybrid setup, are there also some lessons when you were surveying and looking at studying what organizations are going to be doing in the future? Were there some lessons that they took away from this experience during the pandemic? Well, well, the surveys I looked at, they, I didn't actually survey myself, but the surveys been undertaken by a variety of organisations in the US and, and the UK. They preferred, um, there was a preference for virtual instructor-led training and also for resources and videos. They weren't as keen on the sort of asynchronous learning, you know, that some of us design. And that's interesting because we can ask why, and it can be very compelling sometimes, that sort of learning can allow you to practice lots of different scenarios and to move at your own pace. So there's a question about whether they just didn't have very good versions of asynchronous online learning Hmm. um, or whether there were other reasons why it was less popular. Right. Interesting. I mean, there's certainly a lot to be taken away from this past year. You're going to be discussing a few of the key elements that organizations should consider when planning online learning. And of course, your extensive work in this field and your research in this field. What are some of the top things that you would suggest to organizations? Yes, so that's an interesting question. And one of the things that I wondered for my own research, because I was researching mobile learning before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and I was looking at what learners were doing and interviewing learners and asking them what their experiences were like of uh, using learning technology to learn for work. One thing that emerged from my research was that people often found it quite hard to schedule in asynchronous learning, so learning that you can do at any time. Because the very fact that you didn't have to show up at a time on a date, it was really easy to postpone it for things that seem more urgent. So in all good conscience, and we're often very keen to actually do the learning, people tended to feel that in an office they needed to be available to speak to other people, they could be interrupted, they might find it too noisy, or they just might feel there were other more urgent things that they should be spending their time on to be the best colleague and the best worker they could be. So that often led them to postpone learning till till they were traveling to and from work for those who were traveling by train or till till they got home. But then then I was asking them about how they learned at home. And again you would see differences emerging because obviously some people have more opportunities and time to learn in the evenings than others. And it's tended to depend on whether they had children to care for, for example. And again, that's something we've seen in the pandemic, where a lot of people with young children found that they were homeschooling their children at the same time as trying to work. And this this obviously caused, caused a lot of difficulties for people in those situations. So thinking about that and going back to the the fact that asynchronous learning didn't seem to be as popular, I wondered if it was because it is difficult for people to decide to do it and to fit fit it in. In in some ways, it ought to be easier because you can fit it in whenever. But then on the other hand, it's very easy to postpone. To your question about what people should be thinking about going forward, I think there is definitely some organisational changes that, that could help. One of those might be to think about quiet places in the office. So for those people who are coming back to the office, they often said they couldn't concentrate very easily Mm -hmm. at their desk. So that would be one thing. And also 
scheduling dedicated time for learning or, or making it clear that learning was considered urgent and important or as urgent and important as other work tasks, yes. I think would really help people fit those things in. And, and you know, it's, it's not a great new technology design or, or anything like that, but it's, it's more an organisational structure, organisational edict and a culture that, that I think might be able to help with some of those issues. And really critical because regardless how great the technology is or how wonderful the learning experience is, but as you said, organizationally, if you do not put from the leadership, if they do not put the emphasis on actually this is just as important as your work and we will give you the dedicated space and time to do it, then it doesn't really matter how great the learning is or how great the technology is because the learning won't happen. Right. And even where the leaders are doing that to an extent, it, it may still not be quite enough mm. um, because because in the study, what the research I was doing, the leaders were saying you have time and we, we do want you to do this, but they still never could quite decide that that time was now, <laughs> the individuals. And I think that's what really helps with synchronous learning because you know that if you don't show up, you'll be letting down the trainer and letting down your colleague because there is a date in the diary you know that time is now mm-hmm. and you no longer have to think for yourself about whether there might be something more urgent for you to be doing yes and these are very real problems aren't they in the workplace that things come up constantly and overshadow anything that can be put off to later which often means that it gets put off forever and that's a very important thing actually that you mentioned i think where synchronous and asynchronous are very important ways to consider that sometimes you just need to be in the same time and space, if nothing else, but to create that importance that actually this is only happening now. So that does have importance in the way that you design your learning, doesn't it? It does. And, and I think it's, you know, it's easy to overlook or downplay, because in one way, it might seem quite obvious. But then in another way, I think it's quite often not really address. So these are some very important things for organizations to consider when planning post-pandemic. Do you think that there's something unique that the post-pandemic workplace will require? I mean, these are certainly important considerations. Uh, As you said, you were doing some of this research prior to the pandemic, and you were designing amazing learning experiences prior that had a lot of these elements. But Do you think that the post-pandemic workplace has some kind of a unique characteristic that people should be aware of when designing learning? Yes, uh, good good question. I mean, of course, it's hard to be sure because we're Mm -hmm. probably not quite there yet. Um, so, So we're talking about a future that is uncertain. But if we assume that the post-pandemic workplace might be more hybrid with people working from home still some of the time. There, there are a lot of questions because some people may prefer to work from home, but other people might live in quite crowded shared apartments and they might actually prefer to go to the office. So I think not just from a learning perspective, but from a work perspective, there's going to be a lot of organisational design and management thinking going to have to go into how hybrid work and how it works well for everyone Uh, and if people are coming in on different days that's going to make synchronous learning potentially (laughs) even more challenging if some people are in the office and some people are at home so yeah I think I think it's going to make it challenging and if people are working to different times and in different places it might make asynchronous 
it's in some ways more appealing because some people could do things as, as it suited them. But I think if that happens, it's going to be even more important to make it very clear that these things have to be done by a certain time and that therefore they are considered important. Really important points, because in order for the learning to happen well, you're highlighting the importance of really focusing and thinking through the logistics, the circumstances that people are in and the organizational structure so that actually the learning can happen well. For a long time, anywhere, anytime has been taken as a almost a holy grail. But as you're discussing, you do need to really consider what that looks like so that you can structure it in a way that it it's effective. That that's absolutely right. I mean, one one person that I spoke to used to retreat to a storeroom to do her learning. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that's been happening far more during the pandemic because you know people are trying to trying to escape from from their children to, to get some of their work done. Absolutely. Um, or, or trying to keep an eye on their children. So that anywhere it really needs looking into because people are in some very different places. Really good point. So what aspect of this transition back to the workplace and the designing of learning in that environment and what you're talking about in your talk, what do you, f- you find most interesting? Well, I, I think I'm interested to see what's going to happen because I think the move to using far more technology does actually have the potential to be more inclusive. I know that for people who I spoke to one person who had a chronic um, medical condition and, and that person found it much easier to, to engage with virtual and online learning yes. because they found it really tiring to go, go to a course and, and be there all day. You know, it, it, can be more in, it can be more inclusive if it allows people to, to fit things around their schedules. And I know that some people who, who've been working from home have felt that it made them more productive and less tired. But then on the other hand... Uh, it's not going to work for everyone. So I think I think it's interesting to see whether we can keep the best of what's happened during the pandemic and strengthen it. Yes, that's really grateful. Hopefully that is exactly what's going to happen. And so from your talk that you're going to be giving, what do you hope people will take away? Um, I hope people will take away the need to design in a strategy for where and when and go beyond coming up with a fantastic course, but really think about how it's going to work for people and how it's going to fit into their working patterns and what what steps need to be taken for that to work well. Because I think that that has happened in the past to some extent, but, but mm-hmm. maybe not as much as it could and as much as it should in the future and will need to. Absolutely. And I like that. The strategy for where and when is very important that I don't think in the past has been, as you said, a strategy. There should be a strategy and thought through on what that actually looks like for different individuals. That's really interesting. Well, I look forward to your talk and to hear more about more about this, as I'm sure a lot of people are, as it's an extremely important topic as learning is being created for a different type of workplace now. But more broadly, what do you find exciting in what is coming up in the learning space? And you have been in this space both as a designer, a consultant, working in this space in a lot of different ways and as a researcher. So what excites you in what's coming up? Um, well, <laughs> I'm excited by all things technology, which yes. is how I became a, became a designer of, of learning technology in the first place. Well, I saw somewhere recently that people somewhere... They were working on um, 3D virtual projections. 
Okay, wow. But, <laughs> but taking Zoom to the next step. <laughs> yes. Project yourself into your friend's living room <laughs> in, in the next pandemic. So, wow. so, I mean, obviously, I imagine that's some way of being the technology that everyone's using, but you can imagine that it could be could have all sorts of um, potential for, for virtual training and getting us away from Zoom fatigue and screen fatigue, which is a real thing. And there's some quite interesting research about it. But, you know, that that could be could be helpful. And I suppose the other thing is the beginnings of AI being used in various ways in education is interesting. Definitely lots of lots on the horizon. But the 3D projection, I, ha- I have not heard that, but that sounds fascinating. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, Imogen, thank you very much for sharing your insights and your tips on how to make the post-pandemic workplace learning a much better and effective experience. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. My next guest is Professor Gila Kurtz from Holon Institute of Technology in Israel. And the talk she will be giving is titled Remote Learning and Training Israel in Light of COVID-19 Pandemic. Welcome, Gila, to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Shalom. I'm happy to be here. Before we delve into this topic, can you please tell me a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Currently, I'm the Dean of the Instructional Technologies Faculty at Holon Institute of Technology in Israel. For several years, I was the academic vice president of the company that provided e-learning solutions for corporate industry. I had some other positions like a member of steering committee of the European Distance and e-learning network. And I was the editor-in-chief of the interdisciplinary journal of e-skills and lifelong learning. I was also, I've been a visiting scholar in the University of Maryland University College, where, where I was in the master degree there. And also I was a visiting scholar in University of California in Berkeley, Syracuse University and University Roma Trey. And my main research areas are the use of advanced technologies in training and learning. And actually currently my research is focused on the implementation of social robots within training and learning. Wonderful. And the talk that you will be giving is both in the higher education and corporate learning side. So how the pandemic has impacted learning in both of those sectors, is that correct? Yes. And uh, as you know, COVID-19 forced organizations worldwide, including Israel, to make an overnight switch to lockdown. And this shift required immediate changes in how higher education, also corporate learning, were conducted and actually it promoted a kind of uh, change in the very nature of learning and training processes. This uh, reality had challenges alongside with opportunities to develop maybe new directions for learning and training. So uh, in my presentation, I will identify and summarize existing evidence on gains and losses of the COVID-19 era on academic institutions and corporate organizations in Israel. What are some of your key findings that you will be exploring in your talk? Yeah, I will tell you in a minute, but I want to say something in advance. Like Israel is one of the countries with the highest rate of COVID-19 vaccination. So actually, these days we are going back to school as usual and work as usual. Uh, We don't have to wear masks. So everything like kind of new normal 
And so in the light of this kind of development, it's really, it's kind of, you have to look back and think what were the gains and losses mm-hmm. of the COVID-19. And I will be happy to highlight the main findings that uh, I will present. Definitely a situation where there's a lot to reflect on and a lot to take away from. So what are some of your key findings or reflections in what you will be discussing? Yes, I will tell you. And I, I just want to share with you that my insight and findings are based on reading more than kind of 100 resource, resources, research reports, and also national conference that we had last week, reading on them. And based on them, I will highlight the gain in your losses. And also I will kind of suggest emerging direction for the Israeli learning and training direction. If I want to say like the highlight, the main gain of the COVID-19 era, I think this is that, that space and time are not exclusive conditions. By that, I mean that actually the COVID-19 smashed barriers to the use of digital means of learning. And this is something that we talked about it. I mean, we are practitioners in the field who say, yeah, we use digital learning, but actually the COVID-19 really forced everyone to go to digital uh, learning. In Israel, in the higher education, it was mainly synchronous. And the corporate also, it was mainly synchronous, but also kind of asynchronous digital learning. I think another gain within this uh, space and time that are not exclusive condition is that actually we find that a lot of readiness and openness to digital learning. Again, if we look two, three years ago, Everyone in the field said, yeah, you know, the young ones really like that. That's when we go to the higher positions and no, we think the face-to-face and no digital and it cannot replace the human touch. And now we see hmm, it can happen. We are ready. And open. People are more open to the idea now that they have tried it. Not when they had no choice. Yes, <laughs> so exactly. Kind of, Being thrown yeah, into the deep yeah. end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another gain was, is still that we're in the process of... Uh, finding new pedagogies and new tools, new tools to use and that were not used before so much. Mm-hmm. In Israel, we used a lot of Zoom and I know that, and Teams, and I know that, for example, in the US, it's a lot of WebEx. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, the tools are there and we have to think how to teach. And we see a lot of creative pedagogics emerging from mm-hmm. this. Definitely. What is one creative way that you've seen it being used? Um, yeah, many, let me think, but I think that, you know, uh, with Zoom and also with Team, there is the breakout rooms, using them for kind of small discussions. You can do it in class, yeah, you can divide the class, but here it was really easy, like they have their own space and you can do a lot of uh, mind thinking together and come back to the class, like doing kind of groups, dividing them to group, to, group mm-hmm. to discuss an issue and then come back and uh, share it together. I think this is a simple tool and we see that really changed the way we teach. It's not a lecture now. We yes. do we do a lot of discussion using, for example, the breakout rooms. Looking at the overall topic that you will be discussing in your talk, what aspects are most interesting to you as you reflect back on what has been happening and where things are moving forward now as, as the country is opening up and people are coming back to the physical learning spaces? What do you find most interesting? Well, I think that everyone understands that there is no way back. Remote learning and training is the new normal. And even when you, we can come back to work or to study in Israel, we can do it. 
we see that we are still kind of holding to remote learning and training for a while. And this is kind of the new normal. And if I want to touch another thing is the kind of the COVID culture. We see that the, we kind of, we have a new creativity and new kind of fun learning and teaching from distance that emerged. Even though we are in a chaos, it was a chaos. Yes. Now we see there's kind of, there's a prudent opportunity to do something better than it was before. Absolutely. So you are seeing people becoming creative in the way that they're going to be using it moving forward. Yeah. yeah. And you, you've said from the research, Paris, mm-hmm. uh, she said that creativity loves crisis. And we see all this. Actually, yes. if you're yeah. not creative, you're going to lose your, either your workers or your students. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What are some of the ways that, yes, we were in a crisis and everyone had to use fully online coming back as people start going back to their physical spaces? It's not going to be purely online the way we saw it happening during a crisis scenario when everyone was thrown into the deep end of online learning. What do you see some of the key trends moving forward? Well, I can uh, answer easily saying like, you know, this is the easy thing, like blended uh, learning and teaching. But actually, we actually we don't know what do we mean by blended? What does it mean to be blended? So you're right. It's not going to be back to what it was before. But again, here, I think that we cannot say that everyone will choose the same solution. But I know that if we go back to class, it should be kind of disruptive class, like, you know, the disruptive, not the usual class. It should be changing. It should change. It should be more student-centered, more worker-centered, more personalized, like, you know, just in time and what you need to learn and teach. I can tell you one of my surprises were that students also at work really like the recording. I'm talking recording the live session. Mm-hmm. It became a mean, a mean, a learning mean. Like, well, I was in class, but I was not sure. I didn't understand. So I'll go and listen and learn more. It's, it's going to be one of the interesting means of learning that I was really surprised by them. So that they're able to go back, relearn, re-listen, uh, solidify their knowledge in what they yes. were learning. What are you seeing as the opportunity for instructors and students in what they should be looking at as an opportunity to be able to leverage it as they move forward? Well, learning and training should be active process, not like someone gives he or her knowledge or presented his or her knowledge. It should be a process, a process together, both with the learners. Learners might become also kind of instructors. I must say that some of the things I say, it's not because of the COVID. It's my philosophy. So, you know, we don't want to be a sage on the stage, you know, to be either to be guide on the side. And I think that technology provides us the opportunity to be kind of guide on the side to, because we have the data, mm-hmm. the, the learning analytics, we know how they learn, how they, where they went, what, how, how long, how much time is spent on this essay or this exercise. So we have a lot of opportunities to use the data and uh, to be better, better teachers, better trainers. Mm-hmm. So um, I think many opportunities. And the main thing is that we have to embrace the change, not to go back, embrace the change. And like, look at the crisis as an opportunity to be better. Definitely. A lot of opportunity to reflect on what is needed to make better learning. As you said, crisis does breed creativity and opportunity. So 
it's a good time to re reflect on that, even though people are extremely busy and certainly not been an easy time. But it's very nice to hear your views and the optimism and the opportunities that people can leverage. So what do you hope people will take away from this talk? Again, as I said before, embrace the change. Don't be afraid. I think change is really something that allows us to flourish, to be better, because change, it's the, it's, this is it. We're change, the world is changing. I mean, really changing. And it will not be going back. I do hope that everyone, that people will take from my presentation that understanding that digital learning is here to stay, but we have to adapt it to the new normal and really think what is best for our students or workers. It's not easy way. It's a process. But if yes. we do it jointly, I think we can make it. We can make it. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important thing that it isn't easy, but doing it jointly, as you said, with all the stakeholders and, and collaboration is key. That's wonderful. So more broadly, looking ahead, what excites you in the future? So many things. So many things. <laughs> but um, I think that... Um, this era really allowed us to give the students or the workers a way to listen to their voice. I mean, like we cannot do what we want to do. We have to listen, understand their needs and understand what does it mean to learn remotely. For example, when you, you learn remotely, actually it's kind of you're living at work, right? You know, if you take it from home, you don't have this kind of change like I'm at home, but I'm actually I'm working and learning. So this something can, you know, especially for young ones, make them kind of not so easy for them. And we have to understand it, mm -hmm. that it's not so. This is our, our job, our role to be role models. Many of us are kind of from the old world, but we have to take it because we understand that things have changed. And if we don't take it, we will go back and it will be very poor, very poor for our students and the workers that we have to uh, train. Yes. And if I may say that another thing that kind of worry me, I call it digital readiness. I know that a lot of people don't have, I mean, you have mobile phone or computer, but knowing how to use the digital device, not clicking, I'm talking about broadly, like saying, like all these ethical issues with the technology kind. So we have to teach our students, uh, what does it mean to be digitally really ready for the digital world? And it's hard work because the remote learning kind of decreased the sense of belonging because you know you're at home you don't think like I'm not part of the group like mm -hmm. when you sit in the same space physical space so we have challenges to look at it as you understand I really am a great believer in the human spirit that is really great and yes as you said there's so much to look forward to and understanding the impact that the technology has on us and as you said simply the fact that you don't necessarily feel that you're part of a community. We have to better understand the impact that these yeah. have on us yeah. and work to make it beneficial, not a detriment. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you telling me more about your talk and your insights in the field. And it's been lovely to talk to you, Gila. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Bye-bye. My next two guests are Bruce Cronquist and Todd Stone, who are from the Education Services Department at Dell Technologies in Seattle, Washington. And they are going to be giving two talks over the conference. And one of them is titled, Topic-Based Learning Saves Resources and Improves Learning. 
And the second one is engagement between corporate learning and development and education sectors. Two very important topics. Thank you so much, Bruce and Todd, for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for having us. So before we jump in, can you please both tell me a little bit about yourselves? Maybe we can start with Bruce. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, so Bruce Cronquist, been with the Dell Technologies about six years and in education for almost 50 years in some form or another. And so obviously it's something I love. And during the day, yet working with education services department, creating training for internal tools and customers or employees who are using those tools. And then in the evening, teach uh, at the community college how to do software testing, which is what I did for quite a few years at Microsoft and data science, things along those lines. Wonderful. And I've been with uh, Dell for about six years, Dell EMC, Dell, and um, also uh, have been working in education on the side. So in the evenings, also uh, teach online colleges and universities. Also uh, had worked previously before getting into technology, had worked for colleges, um, helping them uh, move their uh, face-to-face programs onto online and setting up their, their online curriculums and working with their instructors to help them learn how to teach online. Great. Thank you. Those are definitely uh, skills that are in great demand, especially now, aren't they? So I look forward to hear about the latest and greatest, what you're working on at Dell. So can you tell me a little bit about the essence of the talks that you are giving? Is there a connection between the two and, and maybe some of the specifics of each one that can highlight what what the what you will be speaking about. So one of our, our uh, talks is about a topic-based learning. So topic-based learning is a new way of uh, developing training that we process for developing training that we started at Dell, I'd say it's probably been about two and a half, three years ago now. And it's moving away from the larger uh, face-to-face trainings, the larger multi-day uh, linear trainings and moving more towards online trainings and then breaking those trainings into um, smaller components mm-hmm. uh, that could then be reused um, so that we're not, when we're developing training, we're saving time. We're not starting from scratch every single time we're having to do a training, but we're able to reuse mm-hmm. a lot of those components and plug and play them and then massage them a little bit, get them so they fit in place, but we're we're not starting from scratch every time. Fantastic. So that's uh, one of our talks is that, and that's one on topic-based learning. And topic-based learning is that process. It's that um, focusing on what a learner, uh, the tasks that they need to know and mm-hmm. do, not as much of the, the background knowledge, but okay. more what they have to do to do their job. And just to quickly about the topic-based learning. So you're focusing on the task and you're also using it as modules that you can reuse in different types of training and for different organizations. Is that what you mean? So that they're kind of nuggets of teaching that you can use in different contexts. Is that what you meant? Yeah, I think that like replacing a disk drive, you know, once you've gone ahead and if you're working with a large computer and you need to swap out a disk drive, how you actually open the chassis may differ. But once you actually get down to how do you hot hot swap a disk drive, that's pretty much the same for all the computing systems. So Mm -hmm. once we write that piece once, we can keep reusing that module. Yes, such an important thing that organizations do need to keep in mind, especially when they're designing their learning, that don't start from scratch because so much of it is reusable. If it's designed well once, then you should use it again in different contexts, isn't it? Yep, but it has to be written that way first. And that's some of the problems we had is making sure that it is reusable at any time in any system. And searchable, in other words, yeah. Once you have it, you also, you have it in these components, they're smaller learning objects, but you also need to be able to search when you're needing to find them to, to reuse them. So there's also the taxonomy that goes along with these smaller learning object, objects as well on the system to, to track them. 
so that's going to be your talk on topic-based learning saves resources and improves learning, which absolutely it does. And you will be talking a little bit about how people do that or what what will you be delving into? It's going to talk about sort of our lessons learned. Um, it's going to talk a, a bit about the process and sort of what topic-based learning is. We'll give an overview of that and just give an example of how you could use topic-based learning mm-hmm. to, to develop a training, how to use it to break down a training into its small, smaller components and then mm-hmm. create that training plan. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how we used it at Dell and some of the lessons we learned some of the the struggles that we had to to overcome once we were bringing that on board and hopefully people can save time and from learning from our our mistakes but also learning from the lessons learned as well and some of the best practices so we'll be talking about that we're also updating presentation with some statistics because dell is driven on data almost to a fault at times but we actually have some data as to you know how many people are using topic-based learning and is it actually improving the nsat or csat of the training. So we're updating the presentation with some of most recent numbers on that. And you even walk away with, a, in this case, a virtual job aid to help you actually the process and the chart that we use to categorize the tasks and prioritize them, what's need to know versus nice to know, how you go about ranking those. So that, that'll be part of the presentation. Wonderful. That is extremely useful. And I can see it being very applicable. Is there maybe one thing that you can share what someone working in an organization designing learning, what they could implement from from what you're going to be saying? I would say with topic-based learning, it's learning what's critical to an organization. There's a lot of stuff that's not critical in training. A lot of stuff that ends up getting thrown into training, um, stuff that's maybe fluff that's not, it it takes a lot of time to go through, but it's not really going to help in the end, someone learn how to do their job. So really learning how to look at that and really being able to define what's critical to an organization and critical to its, its success. But if you cut it out, is it really going to be detrimental? So look, looking at through that lens and learning to um, really uh, get to what's necessary in a training. That's definitely very important. The, every time we think about technology, it's really that thinking that goes beforehand, isn't it? That's really the critical part in analyzing what you're going to be needing that for. And your other talk is about engagement between corporate L&D and education sectors. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, we thought that was kind of a nice fancy title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a great well, title. It, it actually came out of a presentation on topic-based learning Todd and I did about a year, year and a half ago. And the president of Bennett College, it's a HBCU or historically black community college university back east. And the president reached out to us saying, hey, this is kind of interesting. Can you tell me more about it? Can you come do a presentation to my staff? Mm-hmm. So we did. And just that simple engagement has turned into something a lot more. We're you know, helping create trainings for them, for their staff, helping them walk through the topic-based learning process, helping them with you know, their move to online t- training. But in addition, they've also been helping us in terms of applying topic-based learning to a different audience instead of just to technical people, to engineers, but now how do we apply it to the staff, the university, things like that. The talk is how this engagement came about, what we've learned from it, but also how corporations can engage with the education community and also education community can find and engage with corporations. It's more than just, hey, can you get me some free laptops? Mm -hmm. Which of course, there's those those types of perks. There's a lot of other benefits. And we have like, what, two or three pages of benefits that we'll kind of talk about that have come from this engagement. Oh, that's fantastic. And the presentation is Todd and myself from Dell, but we also have the president of Bennett College will be there and she'll be giving the education side of it. That's really great. So the first talk is really talking about the strategy, the technology uh, that you use. And the second talk 
will be how you actually implemented it and collaborated with a, an education institution, Bennett College, in learning and improving the, the system, from what yeah. I understand. Yeah, a lot of that, the presentation, the, the first one on TBL is actually the one that Suzanne Walsh, the president of Bennett, had seen and want to use for her institution. So yeah, you go to one, you sort of get an idea of what led up to the, the other one. Well, that'll be great. And Susanna Walsh will be joining you in the second presentation. So I'm sure she'll be sharing her perspective in, in this as well, which is such an important thing to have technology creators and educational institutions collaborate together and industry collaborate and share their learning and make make the learning a lot better for everyone and make the products a lot better for everyone. Can you share maybe one or two learnings that you took away from that collaboration? Well, one of the things we took away from it is some of the work that we did actually turned into a whole new position inside of education services, a university okay. engagement position. So that we thought that was kind of fun. Todd and I looked that's at amazing. it going, that's nah, not exactly what we want to do. So we didn't apply for that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, take, the takeaways are it actually adds to the happiness of the employees because, mm -hmm. you know, we're sitting here doing our day-to-day -day jobs, but by being able to give back to the community, doing something that would well, most of us are in L&D because we love that type of, you know, uh, discipline. But if we can apply it outside, we're happier in our jobs and hey, the engagement and you generally people stick around longer too in a company. That's a really good point. Yeah, it allows us to, to follow our passions, which is, is really cool. We both feel really passionate about education. So this gives us a, a chance to uh, still do that and take what, what we're doing with our job and really uh, align it with what our passions are. That's fantastic. What is most interesting to you in the two talks that you're going to be giving and the collaboration and the tools that you've created? What for you is most interesting? That anybody can do it. And that's the whole idea is we give the idea of this, you know, here's what we've learned. Here's the, but here's the application. So you can walk away with saying, Hey, that's something I can do and I can benefit from that. Both talks are set up that way. Yeah. And I like that. There's a lot of stuff that both sides, education and corporate don't realize how they can help each other. Just really easy things like corporate. We do a lot with technology and we're in it day to day, whereas education may not be as much or hadn't been. And so there's just a lot of swapping, just, teaching and mentoring that, that can happen between the two that you don't even think about. And then there's all kinds of side benefits that couldn't, can come out of that, out of the goodwill and the sharing professional development opportunities. There's, I mean, stuff down the road as far as purchasing, if, if they're interested in purchasing, getting discounts, so all kinds of good stuff for both sides. Well, I look forward to hearing about all of that. And so what do you hope people will walk away from? I mean, you've already said that really they're going to come away from these talks with ideas on how corporations and education institutions can collaborate and how they can implement these strategies. But more specifically, what do you hope people will walk away with? I think it's a better understanding of each other. Corporations that want to work together with educational institutions, they may, may not understand the timelines that educational institutions work within or some of the, the struggles that institutions have, educational institutions, and vice versa. So just a better understanding of how each other work and how they can start forming a relationship if they want to, to do that. It's a first step for anyone who hasn't already been doing this. It's a first step. It sounds like you're setting up already their first experience in these types of collaborations, which is wonderful. So there's a lot of exciting things that are happening in this field and that you're talking about, but looking forward, and you're both very passionate about education, what are you excited about in what's coming up in the learning space? I think the whole move away from large, you know, monolithic type trainings to more, you know, small application based is I think the most exciting thing. You know, there's the move to micro learnings. Well, that's 19th century talk there. You know, we've moved so much 
further based upon that to, you know, here's the task, here's the information you need at the moment of need. How do you go about identifying that? And how do you actually present it to the person? You're going to have Clippy pop up on your screen and go, hey, it looks like you're trying to solve a customer ticket. How would you like, can I help you with this? You know, it's going to be something a lot more interesting than that. And how do we present that information? Is it chatbots? Is it, you know, we're going to be using artificial intelligence. How we go about implementing it. That's what I think the excitement is today. Yeah, I'm really excited about mobile and um, augmented reality and mobile augmented reality and the potential of that being able to move out of the classroom and be able to learn wherever you are, wherever you can get a connection and being able to use your, your mobile device as a, an augmented reality portal or device to, to access that. Absolutely. Lots to look forward to and lots to, to stay connected with. Thank you for sharing your insights and how you collaborated the products that you created to make learning better and how you collaborate with learning institutions in making learning a much better experience for everyone. Well, Bruce and Todd, thank you so much for, for joining me and sharing your insights. Thank you. It's our pleasure and look forward to meeting everybody, you and everybody else at the Learning Ideas Conference. Stop by, say hi. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Virtually. <All> right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Have a good day. Take care. My next guest is Sheffy Robinson, founder and CEO of Shamrock Education in Mississippi, USA. And she will be giving a talk that's titled Solving Gender and Racial Equity with Experiential Learning and AI. Thank you so much, Sheffy, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And um, before we delve into that topic, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Sure, sure. I am a little over 20 years as a software engineer, but my degree is in sociology. I am born and raised in the state of Georgia. I have found my way through to Mississippi because I'm a military spouse. I'm a three and uh, overall, you know, my goal in everything I do is to use technology for social impact goals. And, you know, for, for me right now, education is definitely one of them. And can you tell me, Shamrock Education, what kind of work do they do in the realm of education? So we pretty much use artificial intelligence and data analysis to make sure we're helping schools, districts, and anyone who kind of is in that K-12 realm make data-driven decisions based on students and career and technical education. Okay. Wow. Really important work. Can you tell me what is the essence of your talk? What will you be speaking about at the conference? The essence of the talk is to really hone in on the purpose that AI can have in solving a lot of problems we have in the education system. Mm -hmm. A lot of programs are based around, are based on state test scores, graduation rates, and attendance. But we have to get a lot more granular if we're going to make sure that education matches industry. If we have nothing with COVID level education is that there are a lot of ways that education is currently behind where the industry standard lies and COVID made that even worse in a lot of mm -hmm. cases. Not only do you have kids behind and where they should be as just far as the basics they need to learn for their grade, but when it comes to actually up, up making school apply to a career process, they're even further behind. And how can technology and AI particularly in what way do you see that helping or being able to assist in this divide? The, the biggest way is to actually have markers on both. So where is education now? Where is industry now? And where you can only really look at that through the lens of looking at how students are engaging in certain 
in certain subjects and it how those subjects and the information learned in those subjects actually pair with industry standards. And then you can find in there where the holes are. One thing we see in career and technical education is that the classes are typically taught by people who don't have that industry experience. And that's okay, but you need the industry experience to tack onto that to make sure it's not just theory, but actual practice. So that's where the experiential learning piece comes in, helping to bridge that gap. Because we find that in industry, about, I think I read the statistic about a couple of weeks ago on a, um, on a LinkedIn post, about 72% of schools say that students come out prepared to join the workforce, but only about 30 to 40% say that on the industry That's side. That's huge. Retrain all the time. And of course, training is very important, but exactly. coming out of school, you do need to be prepared for the first step. Right. And, and that's where, where the, the whole lies in the education system thinks they're doing something amazing. They think, oh, yeah, this is where they're, they're going to be. And then the industry's like, no, we did that three years ago. Mm. Yeah. So there's a disconnect, a clear disconnect between right. the two. Right. But without having any data or information on what needs to be changed, what mm-hmm. needs to be fixed, neither side can actually fix the other. So it's a matter of us documenting not only where students fall in their interests and where they want to be, but helping them get the aptitude that's up to the industry standard. So that can now go to the industry and say, okay, I have been working through mechanical engineering basics for the last five years in middle school and high school. And now I'm ready to join and be actually ready to be boots on the ground as an entry-level engineer. It's having to be trained for a good six months to a year just to get to where the, the minimum is. Yes, absolutely. And so is your company creating the program to measure? Are you creating the AI to measure this gap? And creating That is the, correct. Okay, so you're creating the program to measure this gap. And are you also designing the experiential learning to help bridge yes. that gap? Okay. Uh, well, we're more like designing the process the student needs to go through to get there. So we're connecting them with industry professionals. We also right. connect them with industry materials. We can see exactly what's happening in the world in that industry right now, not concepts that were put into a textbook three years ago. That gives them a window to not only have that foot in the door with what they're learning in CTE, but now you have a direct connection to the actual industry where a mentor can say, okay, yeah, you've learned this, but you know, here's the next step to that that actually is part of your day-to-day as a nurse or a patient care representative, things of that nature. So we, we try to match students first to give them a realm that they can explore. So it's very individualized yes. type of work. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we made it even more individual in that we have, instead of your typical college and career readiness, which is mostly what uh, companies in our industry are geared toward, we're looking at the four E's of professionals. Well, not professionals, but when they're exiting high school, what are the, the four E's for them? Enrollment, if they're going off to college. Enlistment, if they're looking at the military as a potential career path. Employment, if they're looking at just joining the workforce or looking for a trade. Entrepreneurship, if they're you know wanting to start a business in a certain career path. So we're trying to be as comprehensive as possible in helping students find that next step. I'm a member of the generation that was told that college was the end-all be-all. We have a shortage of trades 
of, tra- of people who work in trades right now as a country. That's a huge problem everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even on our military side, our folks are convinced to join the military versus seeing what, how that actually applies to them. And that can decide how well a soldier may do, a soldier or Marine or sailor uh, may do within that career. So it's, it's a matter of instead of pushing kids into the paths we think they should go based on where they are, and giving them, well, college is your first resort, military is your last resort. Here we have a, a list of careers for them and four different options to explore that career. They can explore which one works best for them because they may say, oh yeah, I want to be entrepreneur. But then they start actually trying to build a business and it's like, oh wait, no, that's not for me. Maybe I'm just going to go to college instead. Those mm-hmm. are available to them. And I don't think college and career readiness or career technical education does enough of that, giving them different pathways that they can try. So that's why we we do definitely hone in on the individual piece. Also looking at, you know, helping that student decide from a realm of options instead of guiding them down one particular path. Wonderful. That's really, really important. And so the AI technology, is that where it comes into play? You've developed this technology that is helping match the individual student to what their skills are already and to their possibly their career trajectory? Is that what the technology is used? Yes. Well, that's part of it. That's the okay. student on the, the district part of it, as well as schools and youth organizations. We compiled that data and allowed them to play with that data to see how their actual impact can affect that student's trajectory. Mm-hmm. If they have a realm of students that need a particular class that pairs well with their career goal, they want to go off to college and be an engineer, but they need high level math for that. The school that these students are at does not offer that math. How can we get them the resources they need? so that they're still able to go to college and be ready. So things of that nature, being able to see at a glance where students are tracking, where the pitfalls may be, and how that school can interact with that student to get them what they need. Are you finding that the schools or the districts are actually changing what they're teaching or how they're teaching it based on what they're finding with this data? Well, so far, not yet. But With the ESSER program that's come out with the American Rescue Plan, evidence-based intervention is going to become increasingly important, pretty much what the platform provides. It will show the school where they are and give them predictions on where they'll be with certain trajectories. And then they can, of course, insert in, you know, if we instill a program for arts, how will that affect student growth? Um, from there. Things of that nature. Data is also applicable to your area workforce development. So your city municipality or your county or even the state can say, okay, this is the talent pool we have that's coming out of school right now. What programs do we need to do to support them? There's no Department of Education doing anything of the sort where they're actually looking at the talent pool, looking at where they end up in college. Very interesting. You're really bridging the individual students and their needs and their interests with the industry, with the school and the curriculum and and bringing that together from very different facets, which is absolutely fascinating. And both from the individual and the systems point of view, which is important. That's what we're hoping. (laughs) Yeah, wonderful. (laughs) Uh, 
<laughs> in the title of your talk, you also say that you're looking at solving gender and racial equity. How is that yes. being addressed? So one thing that's missed in the trajectory of a student going from high school to their next career is that we still have your gender and racial biases that navigate how successful a person can be. How industries have been bridging these gaps between education and industry so far have been internships networks uh, and other you know opportunities that someone who has socioeconomic challenges does not have access to by being able to connect these pieces without the socioeconomic differences it creates equity mm. for one involved because you're doing it regardless of the school regardless of the family background right. So it's usually the school or the family background that starts the ball rolling in that those types of networks exactly. and internships. But because you have an entire program and that you're going into different schools, districts, you're creating that opportunity for people. Absolutely. As you know, right now, a typical, say, micro internship, something that a high ranking father may call a, a guy he knows that he went to college with or mm -hmm. he's fraternity with and say, hey, I'm trying to get my son into the field. And then now this, this internship is developed for this one student. What about the other students that could have just as well benefited from an internship? They just do this. So that's what we're trying to do is level the playing field in that regard so that this information that is out there that people don't necessarily know how to find is platform. Like um, we have an area for each career that lists resources in a 50 mile radius of that student Hmm. So they can look at, okay, these are the summer camps for STEM careers. These are the summer camps for health and try to help them get to these resources a lot faster there. But you don't know until unless you know someone. Exactly. That's the thing. Very often you don't know about important programs or scholarships or internships mm -hmm. and you because you simply just didn't find out about it mm -hmm. and this is a very important way of bringing that information to people which is fantastic right. where are you working and in which geographic areas would people be able to use your program uh, right now we are mostly in the southeast of the usa we do have folks all, I mean, we have, we have Canadian folks on the platform too. Okay. The biggest thing we found there is just, we haven't been able to deploy the necessary, the, the resources, because we still have to source that information for the AI in certain areas. But yes, we do plan to expand, expand globally here very soon. Fantastic. Really, really interesting. And for anybody who'd like to find out more, how, how can they learn more about what you do? Sure. Um, our website is shamrock with no O dot and that's pretty much where everything is about what we're doing. We talk about, you know, the workforce readiness, uh, work-based learning, which is the internship opportunities, as well as some academic planning. And um, we're uh, in the process of launching our new learning management system, as well as our homework help a system called Learning Booster that helps tutor kids as well. We know the importance of aptitude. That's definitely something we want to help kids with. Wonderful. Well, that will be in the show notes for sure. So from the talk, what do you hope people will walk away from? You're going to go into more depth in, in the talk that you will give, but what do you hope people will take away? I hope people will take away from the talk that there is a tremendous necessity in bridging this gap. And the necessity is based on not just, oh, well, we have to, to create equity, but there are so many other things that 
are affected when you do create this equity. We're talking about um, workforce development for local areas so that talent doesn't just jump up and leave to the big city. Mm-hmm. Now provided avenues for them locally to be successful. We're talking about economic development. When you balance the scale for race and gender here, you now give more opportunities to those who may not have gotten them before. And of course, they will be more more, uh, well off economically and the generations behind them will follow suit. Mm, So it's it's solving a social problem here in a way that most people wouldn't think because you're typical... Well, to solve social uh, equity, we need to have a nonprofit that gives money to the community. No, it's, it's about so much more than that. It's about yes. socializing kids in school, how they're taking that knowledge from middle school to high school, to high school, to college, or just to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And further, if we want to see change in how we address each other, we want to see diversity in our boardrooms. If we want to see... Uh, inclusion in our offices, it starts way further back than having an, a diversity and inclusion course at our job. It starts with the next generation of our workforce. If we can improve the way that they address uh, how to enter into a career and how to excel in that career, we accelerate our entire process as humans. Absolutely. That is wonderful. That is really, really great. It's a, it's a very complex program and Mm-hmm. combining a lot of incredibly important things. And in your work, is there a story or an aspect of it that really jumps out in your mind as being particularly yes. interesting and special to you? So how I even came about, because I've been in business now for about six years, and how I, we even came about Shamrock Education was because I had a problem as a parent. Well, my son, he's 17. He's going into his, his senior year. He aspires to be a mechanical engineer which is unheard of a lot of times for their age group. They don't even know what they want to do when they grow up, but he did. And that's parenting things. But, you know, he wanted, he's run out of math classes to take, but he needs another math to graduate. And the school says, well, we'll just put him in college algebra and he can take it at the local community college. And I said, no, but he's, he wants to be an engineer. He needs calculus. And the reason I brought that up, because I went to school initially as an engineer, did not have that foundation. I struggled so bad. He, he has to have calculus. Oh, well, we don't offer it. Okay, so you're just going to put him in a class that he doesn't need just to say he completed graduation requirements. It ended up being this long conversation between myself and another counselor at the community college to the point where they ended up having to find someone at one of the state colleges to come down to the school's and work out a way to be able to teach Algebra 3 and Calculus for these students. Because that one person at the community college had other parents that were frustrated just like me, and they advocated for that to happen. How many other students are having similar issues, but they don't know that they, they don't know how to advocate. They don't even know that they need They may not even know that they have an issue. Exactly. Because if your son hadn't had you, he wouldn't even have known how important it is to have calculus in high school before exactly. you get into university. That's incredible. That's where it all spawned from. And I just got to thinking like, how much visibility on their students do schools not have? And where are they missing some vital injection points where they could be pivotal to these students, but they aren't. So either the student has figured it out on their own 
but then they leave the area that they're in because they don't feel supported mm-hmm. or the student never figures it out and goes down a path that they probably would not have had they been exposed. That's wonderful. That's very inspiring. And you're doing incredible work. And thank you so much for sharing that. It, I you. look forward to hearing more about it in your talk. But before we leave, looking ahead into this great big world of learning and how it's changing, what is exciting to you in the future of learning? The most exciting thing to me is that the current generation is probably going to end up in jobs that don't even exist yet. That's exciting to me because that means we are propelling forward in a way that what's happening today will be vastly different in five years and even five years after that, it will be even more, even more dis- different, especially with technology. You know, like here we have different companies that are trying to put us on the moon again or in Mars. A lot of the positions that, that come with that won't exist. I mean, the Space Force, we didn't have that a few years ago. Granted, some of the roles were already built into the Air Force. But because we are taking that step towards space exploration, we had to rethink even what our defense processes are doing. So things like that make, make me very excited to see, you know, I have a six-year-old son and he, he following right behind his brother with building and, and mechanics. The job he'll have doesn't exist yet. But if we prepare him with the concepts, critical thinking, how to apply theory and practice, something as simple as a scientific method, who knows what these kids can do? Absolutely. Those foundations are incredibly important. Right. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And uh, that is exciting. A very quickly changing world. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Sheffy, again, for sharing your work and the important work that you're doing. It's absolutely fascinating. Of course, in the show notes, people will be able to follow up on it more. Thank you. Thank you so much. 